Evening, everybody. Uh, my name's uh, Dave Snoke. And uh, if you haven't been uh, with us uh, for the past few weeks, we started a new series in the book of Acts. And the, uh, the reading for tonight uh, comes uh, sort of in the middle of a story. So the very first uh, story that we looked at was a very famous, the second chapter of Acts, where uh, the Holy Spirit came filled all these uh, people uh, with uh, boldness and actually speaking foreign languages. Uh, and then um, uh, that led to a great revival, all kinds of people uh, coming to faith. Uh, and this story that we're in the middle of right now, uh, we started uh, last week, uh, it's uh, about a miracle uh, which the apostles did uh, after that uh, big event had happened. And uh, to put it in a nutshell, uh, the uh, Peter, the apostle, uh, and the apostles who are with him uh, look at this beggar uh, and tell him to rise up and walk, and he does. Uh, and this is an amazing miracle. Now, keep in mind, all of these events are just a couple months after Jesus uh, walked in Jerusalem, was crucified, and rose again. So those events would be on people's minds uh, as, they, uh, as they see these things. Uh, and some of the shock seems to be that these miracles are still happening, that there was a sense that they thought this is something that Jesus did and was special, and now we see the apostles doing the same thing. Uh, well, um, this week, uh, printed in your bulletin on uh, pages uh, eight and following, uh, we come now to sort of the rest of the story. Uh, the beggar jumped up and walked, uh, but now we've got, uh, you know, something follow-up uh, to that. So um, if you... Uh, uh, want to read along with me? I'll be starting uh, in uh, Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 17. And at the end, we'll do as we typically do. I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and we have a response. Thanks be to God. So hear God's word from Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. And this is Paul, Peter, by the way, talking to the Jewish leaders, uh, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of this earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking, the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander 
and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or what, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you as well, or standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. So, a, uh, a few years ago, uh, and this may date me because this may have been, you know, more than 10 or 15 years ago, there was a study that was done that was reported uh, fairly widely in the media, and they asked people in America, what is your greatest fear? And uh, some of you may remember uh, reading about that. Uh, you could think for a second, what would be your greatest fear? Uh, but by a pretty wide margin, uh, the greatest fear of people in America is speaking in public. Uh, it outranked death, fear of death. Uh, it outranked uh, fear of dying in an accident uh, or fear of, uh, uh, of things like that. Uh, so uh, they, you know, really that is where we're at. You know, that's, I would say, hasn't changed a lot uh, in, in 10 years or more. But uh, now add to that, imagine you're, you know, one of these uh, apostles here. Uh, Generally speaking, the crowds that you might speak to uh, probably will not rise up and actually kill you, right? Uh, but here's uh, Peter and John, and the crowd that they're speaking to is literally a crowd that only about two months later just killed their leader of their movement, right, uh, and, uh, and crucified him. Uh, and so imagine your fear of speaking, and then add to that the fear of actually making the crowd so angry that they rise up to try to kill you, all right? So uh, you can imagine that would lead to a fair amount of fear. Uh, well, what we see here, of course, is just the opposite. We see Peter and John, it says there, uh, being filled with the Spirit uh, and standing up and speaking very boldly. Uh, and if you recall, when we talked about the filling of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2 a few weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit doing a number of different things, but one of the things that the Holy Spirit does uh, is give us boldness. 
uh, gives us a sense of confidence uh, that we don't have to be afraid, whether of people or of things happening to us. Uh, and so this is a challenge to us. Now, you know, I might say, uh, or one might say, if, if you're uh, looking at this, say, well, of course that's the apostles, right? That is just them, uh, and that doesn't really apply to us. That's just, you know, their, you know, first century uh, type of behavior. But if you look in your additional scripture, Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, uh, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, says, for God gave us, and in the context that us is clearly talking about the whole church, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So uh, my, uh, my general premise for tonight is that this is a good example for us, uh, that this is meant to be a paradigm of the filling of the spirit, which is something that's supposed to be happening in all Christians' lives, that we are meant to be uh, bold uh, before people. Uh, now, uh, the outline, as you can see, there's uh, printed in the bulletin. Um, the first couple points I have are actually sort of balances to what you might be thinking uh, that I'm talking about. So, um, we, uh, this church is called City Reform Church, and it's, uh, oftentimes we have uh, young men, and it's often men, uh, who get very excited about Reformed theology. Uh, and we have a phrase for that, uh, and uh, some of you may know this, called the cage stage, right? Um, where people get so excited about Reformed theology that they want to argue with everybody they know uh, about how important this theology is. Um, so uh, I'm not going to um, say anything about, you know, not, you know, I don't want to downplay the importance of Reformed theology, but uh, it is, I think, possible to almost like flip a switch and to say, you know, I used to be afraid of everybody. I used to be afraid of what everybody thought. Uh, and I realized that's wrong, so I'm just going to go the opposite way. Uh, and I'm going to be completely brash and basically, you know, irritate everybody. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's possible for us to, you know, say, this is something I should repent of, uh, but then go the opposite way. Uh, and I think it's, it's important to notice in some of these verses that you have in the additional scripture, uh, the scripture always balances speaking the truth with love, right? So if you look there in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, I'm oh, sorry, chapter 1, uh, it doesn't just say God gave us not a spirit of fear but of power, end of sentence, right? It goes on to say and love and self-control. Uh, and then up in Ephesians uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm not going to read that whole thing, I'm just going to uh, jump to the bottom there. It says, we're no longer to be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, uh, and then jumping forward. Rather, speaking the truth in love, uh, we are to grow up. And so uh, there is a call to uh, speaking the truth in love. Now, it's interesting, if you look at the passage of Acts chapter 3 that we read, the very beginning of this, it's an interesting little uh, a thing that he does. He says, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as also did your rulers. When you think about that, that's a kind of an interesting little concession, right? So uh, as we talked about last week, and if you, uh, you know, remember what we just read further down the passage, he's not really pulling any punches with the people that he's talking to, right? So he's saying, uh, you know, verse 26, uh, God sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Right? So he's not trying to soft pedal 
uh, the fact that the gospel tells people to repent and that these people in front of him uh, have done wickedly. But uh, it's, it's, I think it's just really interesting that in, in this verse uh, 18, there's a, a kind of a concession to truth. Uh, he's saying, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. Uh, now, why would he throw that in there? So I don't think he's saying, well, therefore your sins are not so bad. Uh, I don't think he's saying that uh, you're not really sinners at all. He's clearly calling to repent and so on. Uh, but I think he is saying, uh, I understand that you knew you were killing an innocent person, but you didn't literally know that you were killing the creator God of the universe, right? And so it's simply a concession to the truth that the people really didn't know. And remember what Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing, right? And so their sin is very, very serious because they knew he was an innocent man uh, when they called for his death. But they probably didn't literally know that they were calling for the death of, of God incarnate, the creator of the universe. Uh, and so why would he throw that in there? Well, um, you know, one could get into all kinds of uh, different thinking, but um, I think it's partly just because he is wanting to be really careful about speaking the truth, and he's not trying to pile on and to say, well, let me just grind you into the dust and think of every possible accusation that I could throw on top of you, right? There's a balance there. Uh, and so, you know, I think the first point uh, of sort of this kind of boldness that we pick up from this passage is simply, you know, to speak the truth. But the goal of speaking the truth without fear is not to grind people in the dust by the most powerful extreme argument we can to make them feel bad, right? It's to actually speak truth. And here he is uh, speaking truth, saying, well, your sins are really serious. So you need to repent. Uh, and yet, I'm willing to concede that your sin was not uh, as evil as it possibly could have been. Uh, in the same way, uh, I think sometimes, uh, and this has been especially true in different parts of history, when we say uh, we don't want to be afraid of people, uh, we can zoom toward what sometimes is called a martyr complex, where we actually try to, you know, almost revel in the opposition that we have. So. One of the things that we see in scripture all through uh, is that we should normally as Christians expect opposition. Uh, and I put that down also in additional scriptures. Second uh, Timothy uh, chapter three. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, so uh, this is really true uh, very directly in a lot of countries around the world, uh, such as China uh, and Northern Africa. Um, but it's a statement of fact. It's not a statement saying, do whatever you can to get as persecuted as you possibly can. Right? And I think that uh, there have been times, not just uh, reformed cage stage people, uh, but there's also been uh, other people throughout history who have sort of viewed it as, well, being persecuted is the highest category of holiness, uh, and so therefore, you know, let me see what I can do to really offend people. Uh, and again, I think the balance is uh, that we speak the truth in love, and as much as possible, we try to be persuasive. Uh, the problem is, if I was to, you know, look at these two extremes and say, well, there's the one extreme of being so bold that you're not even paying attention to people and you're just blasting them, uh, and on the other hand, being so afraid of hurting somebody's feelings that you never say anything, which side do you think the church really is mostly on? 
I think it's mostly over here, right? Uh, we're mostly afraid of saying anything to people. Uh, now, there's a lot of TV figures uh, that are very brash, but by and large, your average Joe is over here, right? Is very much afraid of what everybody uh, thinks about them. Um, so, um, I'm actually going to take these points in a different order. I have these, uh, I have the civil disobedience point next, but I'm actually going to jump uh, to the fear of man, uh, and then we'll come back to civil disobedience uh, at the end. Um, so, uh, basically what I'm putting before you is that this story is a paradigm of boldness for all of us. Uh, and I've said that the Bible says that we are not to have a spirit of fear, but of power and love. And Proverbs in the Old Testament says something very similar. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, uh, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Essentially what I'm saying to you uh, is that fear of man is a sin. It's not just an optional thing to, you know, well, I, that's just who I am. But the Bible speaks of fear as being a sin. It says we are to turn from our fear and to put our faith in God. Uh, now, in saying that, I know, because I know a lot of you, uh, that many of us uh, in this church struggle with anxiety. Uh, some people have anxiety attacks. Some people have a low-level uh, anxiety that pervades their whole lives. Uh, and for some of you, me saying, don't be afraid, don't be an anxious person, uh, it's sort of like saying, well, you know, grow an extra leg. Uh, you know, just become a different person. Uh, that's what it can sound like uh, to a lot of people. Uh, well, so this is going to take me on a little bit of an excursion. Essentially, um, the fear of man can be put in the same category uh, as uh, sometimes what is called the fears of the flesh or the sins of the flesh. Uh, so in general, when we look at how we react uh, to different things, um, there's a number of things that fall in a similar category. So I would put fear and anxiety in this category. I would put anger and fits of anger in the same category. Again, it's not just me. I think the Bible says this. Uh, sadness and depression uh, and sexual desire. And we could probably think of another six or seven. These are all things, I'll just give you three points about these. The first is they're all created for a good purpose. Uh, they're not flaws necessarily uh, in your nature. They're things which God created for good purpose. Think about it like if you're uh, in the forest and a lion leaps out at you, uh, fear is a really good thing. It will stir you to action to run really fast, right? That's a good thing, right? Uh, if there is a tornado on the horizon uh, and you see it, it's a good reaction to say, let's get out of here and go the opposite way, right? So fear is not intrinsically wrong. And the Bible even says that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, that we should actually fear uh, God and respect to the power that he has. Um, the second point I would make, though, about these um, sins of the flesh uh, is that uh, they can become out of control and they can become fixed in us so that they become dominant patterns. Uh, and to such a degree that they feel completely nailed down and impossible to change. Uh, and that's going to be true of every one of these. So uh, a person who is bound to fear may not say, I am choosing to fear right now. Rather, they would say, I am a fearful person. That's who I am. 
somebody who is a sad person, again, sadness has a good purpose, right? It is a balm for someone who is hurting, right? And yet it can become out of control, right? Uh, someone who is angry, that has a good purpose, right? If someone who you love and know is in danger and you say, I've got to rescue that person, anger is a really good motivator to get in and do something uh, and to take action before uh, some really, uh, something really terrible happens. Uh, and of course, sexuality has a good purpose in binding a man and a woman together in marriage. Uh, and yet every one of these can get out of control. And it can feel like every one of them, uh, I'm just an angry person. That's the way I, I don't see myself as choosing anger. I see it as just who I am, right? Uh, or I don't see myself as choosing to be depressed. It's just who I am. I don't see myself uh, as choosing to be addicted to various things. It just feels like the clothing that I wear. Uh, it's just who I am. Uh, and so, again, all of these things have a good purpose, but they can become deeply embedded for various reasons that I won't go into. Uh, but I'll just mention fear in particular tonight is one that actually can become so embedded that you don't actually see yourself as a fearful person, you just act out of fear all the time. Uh, and one test is you know, to say, well, how would I feel about public speaking? <laughs> you know, or how would I feel if the gospel comes up in conversation at a party with a non-Christian? Do I, do I feel my heart pounding? Do I feel myself you know, having a racing heart because of the fear that I have? You know, it can be, become so embedded in us we don't even realize how controlled we are by fear until we're actually in the situation. Um, but my third point about this is that change nevertheless is possible. Uh, it's very hard, uh, but the Bible always gives us a hope of change, even for deeply embedded uh, sins. And so I recognize for, for a lot of you, it may be strange to hear fear talked about as a type of sin, uh, of lack of trust in God. But that also should give us hope to say anything that God says not to do is therefore also something that we actually have the power of the Holy Spirit to change. Right? He doesn't tell us to do impossible things. And so the Holy Spirit comes to give us power. Now it's really interesting, the story that we have in front of us, um, there are many historians who would say this is in some sense the first great public miracle of the church. Because if you think about it, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, he appeared to his disciples, to quite a few people, at least 500 people, uh, but then he went away. Uh, and so if we're looking at history records, we might say, well, you know, it's hard for me to, to verify that. Uh, but many historians have noted it is very clear that the disciples of Jesus had incredible boldness in spreading the gospel. That's why there's a church today. Right, that, the, that the Middle East was turned upside down by people who were extremely bold. And a lot of people uh, with commentating that uh, have said that's really amazing because that, you know, these are fishermen. Right? These are not trained orators. These are people, and it says here um, that they were amazed uh, that these are just uh, you know, uneducated men, as it says, edu uneducated common men uh, standing before them. Uh, and if you want a, a little bit of an analogy, uh, imagine that you were called uh, to testify before the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. All right, would you have a little bit of trepidation uh, about that? I think you would, especially since they have the right to throw you in jail for perjury or things like that. Um, it's amazing that these guys 
turned around. And the way the Bible presents it is it was the work of the Holy Spirit, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's what led to that. Uh, in practice, that change uh, really comes about through the Holy Spirit leading us to deeper faith in God, to say, why should I fear? Uh, why should I fear what man can do to me when God is in charge of the universe? Uh, so let me just give one uh, little point on civil disobedience, and then I'll uh, conclude. Um, There's kind of a verse in here which is uh, really a proof text for uh, a lot of discussion of interaction of church and government. Uh, they say, um, in response to uh, this mandate not to speak of Jesus, in verse 19, it says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So they're essentially saying, we are not going to obey that command. We are going to go out and we're going to talk about Jesus. Now, uh, essentially what that says is there is a time and a place when we have to say, my allegiance is to the highest authority, which is God. Uh, and if government of people uh, or any local authority uh, uh, or even a family member was to command me to do something which violates God's law and a clear command of God, I have to not do that. I have to obey God uh, rather than man. Uh, now, again, I would say to be quick to balance that, that doesn't mean we should have a rebellious attitude toward government. Um, you know, if we uh, look at the um, uh, passage there in, uh, from Romans chapter 12, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Uh, and so, just as I was saying, you know, there's the people who say, well, I'm no longer fearful, so therefore I'm going to try to have as many arguments as possible. Uh, I think it's also possible for the church to um, say, well, we feel so free and unafraid of government that we're just going to pick fights with the government uh, just to sort of prove how free we are. Uh, and I think that's not what scripture commends to us, right? Here we have very clearly uh, a, a command of Jesus, Matthew 28, go into all the world, preaching to everyone uh, everything that Jesus has commanded them to preach. Uh, and here we have a direct opposition to that saying, don't talk about this. And they're saying, when push comes to shove, the higher authority wins over the lower authority. But that is not a blank check to say, uh, I have no concern about what authorities, earthly authorities have to say. In fact, we have uh, a, a mandate, as far as it depends on us, to live peaceably uh, with all people and not to do things directly to pick fights uh, with the government uh, or anyone else. So I just want to return to uh, the connection with the gospel. Uh, and some of you have heard me uh, preach on this uh, theme many a time before. Uh, the antidote to fear is to really believe the gospel. Uh, and um, it may not seem obvious to you, but if you, if you think about it, what are we afraid of? There's two general things that we're afraid of. Uh, we're afraid of bad things happening to us, right? So I might be afraid of getting sick. Well, what does the gospel say? The gospel says that God will take you to heaven with him, and no matter how you may die, that you, have, you, you can live with Jesus forever in heaven. And so you could say, you know, what bad thing uh, can, over, you know, can really happen to me that isn't just temporary in the long run? Uh, but as I said, most of us don't live primarily in fear of stuff happening. We live in fear of people. 
right? We live in fear of people judging us and saying we're dumb uh, or that we're out, you know, outcast or whatever. And the gospel says that God has already, if you have placed your faith in him, has already passed judgment on you and has declared you righteous uh, by virtue of his son living in you. And the more you believe that, the more you say, yeah, why am I afraid of what anybody thinks? Because God, the creator of the universe, has already passed judgment on me. Uh, and so um, you literally can move on to say, the more I understand that other people's judgments really don't matter, the more I don't have to be afraid of them, instead can love them and say, instead of me worrying about what they're gonna do to me, let me think about what I can do for them uh, to bless them and to love them. And that is a sea change. Uh, it is something that we, even people who profess the gospel often just don't get. And they live their lives in fear of other people thinking badly of them, uh, even though they would say on paper, I know that God has already passed judgment and there is nothing man can do to me. Uh, and so we have that verse in Proverbs, the fear of man lays a snare. It's a, it's a terrible snare to be bound by fear of what people think of you. So again, let me just leave you with uh, this story. It's a great long story. There's a lot I haven't touched on. Uh, but one nice thing about stories is they stick with you. Uh, and uh, uh, this is a great story of being filled with the Spirit. And as I preached a couple of weeks ago, even Presbyterians get filled with the Spirit, right? So let's take that as, a, uh, as, a, as an example for us. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your words that challenges us. And Father, I pray that truly we would rest in you and not be afraid. Uh, Father, help our concern be greatest for you and your opinion. Uh, Father, uh, let us repent of worrying about what uh, people might think or say about us. And Father, we do thank you for those heroes of the faith who've come before us, uh, like Peter and John, uh, who did spread the gospel to all nations. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.